here. I'm doing my favorite thing, which is a one-off sermon. It's what I love to do best. Uh, Not really, but uh, I do love to help out and preach God's word whenever I can and give Chris a break when needed. So um, today we're going to take a look at the idea of fear and uh, what the Bible says about it, what it means for us, and uh, how it can lead us to uh, obedience, love, joy, all the good things that we long for and hope for. So we're going to take a look at two verses in Proverbs, so if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, we we are intrinsically connected to you because you created us all, whether we... um, have uh, ascended to that reality yet or not, Um, whether we're uh, fully committed to uh, you because of the the grace and mercy you poured out in us and the work your spirit is doing in us, or uh, because uh, we just uh, are in a place of uh, needing to uh, know you and uh, we're trying to figure things out in this world and in this life and uh, we're curious about you and as we we come before you as god we uh one of the things we we don't usually connect uh in your uh in relation to you is the idea of fear um uh, we're not a society that uh generally uh thinks it's a good thing uh, that celebrates it uh that thinks a god or an authority figure um uh, that uh, calls us to fear would be something that is good for us, something that should be celebrated or understood or appreciated or loved. And uh, I pray that as we wrestle with your word today that uh, you'll uh, grow us in our understanding of that and uh, uh, that you'll help us to uh, move closer to you as a result. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so we, uh, again, are in Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Uh, our, uh, so we're going to read these two verses. If you uh, are trying to find Proverbs, if you open it up in the middle somewhere, uh, you're likely to find Proverbs or Psalms. Um, so if you have not there, I'll give you one more second. Let's read together. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Let not your heart... Envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. So pretty quick, so uh, I'm going to spend some time uh, going through some scriptures uh, throughout uh, the Bible that deal with fear for us. And at times it's uh, it's interesting because it... Uh, sometimes seems like it almost contradicts itself in it, how it upholds the value of fearing God, but also tells us that uh, um, perfect love casts out fear. But before we do so, just uh, sort of contemplate um, some ideas of fear and culture that we uh, espouse as our culture today. Um, we sometimes think of uh, spirit, fear as like it's scary, but uh, when we look back on it at the end, we'll think... Uh, that it was worth going through certain things, or uh, I'm going to do something even though I'm afraid of it, I have fear of it, because what I really fear is at the end of my life, I'll look back upon it and think, what if? Why didn't I do this? And I'll be left longing. Um, Famously, we had a president who once said, the only thing to fear is fear itself. Uh, You know, 
there's, there's nothing in this world that's really fearful. Uh, the thing that uh, is really most destructive to us is the, it's the idea that we fear things. Um, sometimes we're told that fear is nothing more than a state of mind going along with that comment. Um, you're fine. Everything is good. You have no reason to worry. It's just in your mind. There's nothing out there that's really dangerous. So if we set our mind to things, we can diminish fear. If we just say, I'm going to do this. I'm committed to this. I am uh, going to do it. You know, the fear will diminish. Or if we take actions. Um, so we're told a lot, look, the things you fear, just start doing them. So if you're afraid of heights, just start jumping out of planes with a parachute, of course. Um, but uh, do things to put yourself in uh, places where you defeat your fears so to say, um, and that will help you conquer your fears. And so we're, we're told all these things about fear. Some of them, you know, we do, some people do uh, value fear in our society. I don't think it's the overriding um, viewpoint in our society, but some people do appreciate um, the reality of fear, especially when we come uh, to politics. We like to talk about how everything is going to be terrible if the other side gets elected, and we're terribly afraid of what they do. Um, we like to talk about uh, in this world uh, um, the idea of truth is sometimes something to be afraid of. Uh, absoluteness of anything should be we should be afraid of because it'll put us in a box we don't want to be in. It'll make people um, ma make people mean, make people judgmental. It'll make people uh, unloving. Um, so we should fear certain things that we're told, and there are certain fears to which we, we grab a hold of in our society. Um, but in the Bible, we see a wide range of uh, ideas when it comes to fear, or truths when it comes to fear. Um, one of my favorites would be uh, from Job. Um, in Job uh, verse uh, or 8 of chapter 1, um, the Lord is talking to Satan about uh, if anybody truly loves him and, and uh God points to Job, and he says, uh, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? So he says, Job is my best. At, you know, at different points in the world, there has to be one. Job happened to be the one at this time. And uh, one of the reasons why he said he was his best was he had a fear of God. And therefore, he turned away from evil, uh, similar to uh, the passage that we read uh, from our from Proverbs. Uh, Don't envy sinners. Turn away from that stuff because uh, and continue in the fear of the Lord. In Proverbs one seven, we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In Psalms one ten ten, in Proverbs nine ten, we're told the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now notice the words associated with these things are beginning, not enhancement of, not improvement of. If you want to be wise, it starts with fearing God. And so if you don't fear God, you are not wise. Pretty, pretty bold statement by the Bible. 2 Samuel uh, 23, 2-4 says, uh, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me. His word is on, his, on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, 
He dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. And Colossians 3.22, we're told by Paul, uh, bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as the Lord, not for men. So we see rulers should fear men. Servants, slaves, or should, rulers should fear God. Slaves, servants should fear God. And he tells these uh, slaves, these bond servants at the time, that your heart can be hearty. You could have joy because of your fear of God in your work. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, we're told that in the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. So Ecclesiastes is this long, about 12 chapters of uh, um, what one might call a professor at the time, just writing about this world and what we should know. A dissertation, if you will, uh, him teaching the class of this world, and he ends it with, the heart of the matter is fear God and keep his commandments, as this is the whole duty of man, to fear God. Interestingly, Second uh, Corinthians 7, 1 says, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. Going along with that uh, passage. But then, uh, well, one more. Proverbs uh, twenty-eight fourteen says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. So we have this idea of fear has softened the heart to God. Um, and to those who don't fear God has have a hardened heart. I think we're going to discover that the reality is, is that anyone who doesn't fear God has a hardened heart to everything. Uh, and it is the fear of God that softens one heart, that opens one up to uh, love God and to love anyone else. But then we have 1 John 4.18 that sort of makes us go, what? And it tells us this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has nothing or has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has been perfected in love. There's no fear in love. There's perfect love casts out fear. So how, if we come in to the face of a loving God, should fear have anything to do with it? Uh, we, we just went through all these verses that talked about the, the goodness of fearing God. And we have this verse that tells us that there should be no fear in love. And that perfect love casts out fear. I think we're going to, uh, well, I know we're going to discover that there's really not a contradiction here. The reality is, is that uh, in the Old Testament especially, um, there's multiple, well, two words usually uh, used for fear, and they have two separate meanings, and they both convey important truths, and they both uh, allow us to see a part of ourselves in God that it's important for us to know. Um, again, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge for us. It doesn't start with us, and then it's improved with God, and it's uh, this fear is needed for anyone. And everyone, leaders, rulers, servants, slaves, and everyone in between, um, will misunderstand our knowledge 
We'll misuse everything we know. We'll misapply it. We'll hurt people with it because we don't fear the Lord. And therefore, we don't really have wisdom. We don't really have discernment. We don't really have the ability to love someone in a way that allows us to serve with a, in a softened heart. Uh, hope uh, is something that that fear is offered to through us, uh, or offered through fear to us, as he, as Paul shared with the bond servants, that uh, you can have a hearty and healthy life and work situation, no matter what your work situation is, because of the fear that God uh, brings into our hearts and in our minds. Tim Keller uh, said this: the gospel is uh, conduct that flows out of relationship, not a conduct. They're not conduct myself, and then God rewards me with a relationship. But I, enter, but I enter into a relationship, and conduct flows out of that. That's Old Testament and New Testament. The gospel is all through. But what does it mean? The reason is a difficult issue. In some ways, we don't use the word fear the way it's used when the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we're going to talk about how the Bible uses it and how we think about it. Um, but again, um, I think there's a tendency to think of the Old Testament and New Testament as somewhat of a dichotomy. One is all about obedience, and the other one is all about relationship. And uh, there's this connection of these two things that we see beautifully through this idea of this of fearing God. So let's dive into uh, the two ways to which we see uh, that word used throughout the Bible. I think you can sum them up in two ways, pretty much, terror and reverence. Um, we're going to take a look at the first one, uh, first terror. Um, but uh, um, as you as we process these two words, think about this: one we need to be saved from, and the other is what leads us to obedience, love, and is our hope for now and eternity going forward. Terror is the one we need to be saved from, and uh, reverence is the one that is our hope. So terror is uh, connected to loss, pain, absence. Um, it's uh, something that we think of when we think of uh, what we put our hope in, what we count on as a way to our happiness, as a way to our comfort, our peace. And uh, when we think about how something could come along or I could be in a situation where those things could be affected, when we think about those things, that's what we think about as far as uh, fear. When we begin to fear, we're, we're, we're fearing something's going to happen to me that is going to cause me pain or I'm going to lose something that's going to cause me pain emotionally, physically. Um, and so we have a, a terror, a fear of these things being uh, done to us or being taken from us or we lose them. And so terror is this idea of loss, pain, absence of something that I give value to in an inordinate sense. It's also uh, can be thought of in, a re in our relationship with God from the idea of punishment. Again, from 1 John uh, 4.18, we read, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so we could think of fear in this idea of punishment when we think about God. What do we feel when we come in the presence of God? Or what do we feel when we think about things bigger than us? Um, is there a fear there? Is there a worry about who I am, what I've done, how I've lived my life? 
Um, that is one of the ways to which uh, we experience that pain. Charles Spurgeon uh, said this. He said, There is a fear which perfect love casts out because it hath torment. This is the slavish fear which trembles before God as a criminal trembles before the judge. The fear which mistrusts, suspects, and has no confidence in God. A fear which therefore keeps us away from God, causes us to dread the thought of drawing near to him, and makes us say like the fool to whom the psalmist refers, no God. And so he says, it's that fear that we just talked about, the second one, that when we when we think about our relationship with God, when we contemplate God at all, um, it's like we stand before a judge and we're the criminal and we tremble and we fear before God. When we really honestly think about the selfishness of our own heart and we think about standing before a holy God who's going to judge us, we tremble and we uh, are like suspects before that judge. and We have no confidence in God. We have no uh, uh, thought of him being good to us. It's nothing but fear. Then he talks about that second part as well, or the first part that we looked at, and he says this. There's also another sort of fear which springs out of this slavish fear, which is to be equally shunned, namely a fear which leads to the apprehension that something evil is about to happen. There are many persons who have so little faith in God that they fear that the trials which will soon later overtake them will also overthrow them. They are afraid of a certain form of suffering that threatens them. They fear that they will not have patience enough to bear up under it. They feel sure that their spirit will sink in their sickness. Above all, they are dreadfully afraid to die. They have not yet believed that God will be with them when they pass through the valley of death. Uh, and they be, and because they cannot trust him, they are all their lifetime subject to bondage. This fear uh, can lead one to be very self-absorbed, these two fears. When you're afraid of losing something that you give great value to, you're going to constantly think about yourself. How do I not get in a situation where I lose these things? How can I put myself in a position where I'm in control of these things? Which is interesting uh, in the sense that biblically, um, what we're taught is the opposite of fear is not courage and it's not peace, but it's love. And the opposite of love is not hate, but fear. Um, yesterday, I was, uh, um, my my sister and her uh, two little kids came up to town because it was my brother's birthday, and we went to the uh, Natural History Museum uh, yesterday, and uh, we were wandering through, and at one point there was this lady who was uh, had some animals out there, and uh, the kids wanted to listen to her for a little bit, and at one point she brought out this turtle. Um, and so there's this crowd around this small little blanket, which uh, she placed this turtle on it. She put the blanket down beforehand because she said, listen, we all poop and some, we got to be prepared. So they didn't want the turtle to poop on the carpet. So they lay down the blanket and we all gather around it. And she's telling us about the turtle and how, you know, the turtle has its shell and it goes into its shell when it's afraid. But this turtle had been around crowds for a long time and so it's not going to go inside its shell right now because it's not afraid of you because it's been in front of crowds before and uh that's kind of the reality of of fear uh, we don't have to hide in our shells when we're not afraid but when we are afraid we tend to go into our shells 
So we have this fear that's, uh, it's like the turtle pulling into its shell. Fear is uh, the thing that is totally absorbed with my needs. Love is totally absorbed in the needs of the other person. Fear is that which says, I can't take the risk. Love is the one that opens yourself up and makes yourself vulnerable. Uh, fear is the exact opposite of love. This kind of fear is uh, the dread of being hurt. And so biblically, we have this understanding of uh, fear and love are the opposites of each other. And because uh, love allows you to put yourself in a position to be hurt and fear makes you pull back. But we do have a good in this terror. Uh, Psalms 28, 14 said, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. And so um, that word fear there is, is, is terror. Um, Martin Luther put it this way. He says, if you, uh, if you do not approach God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will find as you get near a consuming fire. There's a certain amount to which we need to have that, that fear, that trembling, for us to know our need for God, uh, for us to understand um, his grace and his mercy poured out to us in the cross, which is why in Psalms 130, we're, uh, 130 verse 4, we read, uh, But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I think we, we see this fear in two ways. First, that terror part of it, um, but then also the, the reverence comes into it. And so I've shared this analogy a few times here, but it's the best one I, I can come up with um, to understand. One, we, there has to be a certain amount of fear in, of God to appreciate his salvation. And so if you would imagine that you were out with nine of your friends and uh, LeBron James shows up and it's determined that, look, you're going to play a pickup game five on five. Um, and the team that wins, uh, uh, LeBron says, look, if you lose against me, you're going to lose everything, your life, everything. But if you win, all of my riches will be yours. And so LeBron starts divvying up the teams and he puts uh, three guys on your team, three gals on your team that you know are not good. And he puts the three people you know that are best on his team. And then it comes to the last person who's got to your team and he says, I'm on your team. So that fear of certain death has now switched to a reverence of certain victory. An appreciation of a win is certain for you. That fear of LeBron leads to a certainty of reverence in your victory. And such is the same. When we understand that trembling before God, the power to which he has to judge us, to condemn us, and then he says, but I, I'm coming to be on your team through my death and your resurrection. I'm coming to take your sins upon myself to die in your place so that you uh, can be in my place. Uh, that is uh, uh, something we need to know to really appreciate that salvation. Uh, but it, I think it's more than that as well. That it's the, the fear of God is a holy fear. It's an inward condition of awe and amazement before the glory and the wonders and the power and the grace of God. It's an inward condition of amazement, awe, fear, trembling. It's an awe of appreciation. Um, my mom is somewhat of a, a hoarder to a certain extent. She's not terrible. She wouldn't be on a TV show, but... Uh, 
Um, she, I probably think she's worse than she is because she likes to put her stuff in the basement of her house, which sometimes floods. And it's usually me who has to clean up the mess. And so the more stuff down there, the more work for me. And I uh, tend to probably overstate how bad it is at times because I, I'm selfish in my uh, nature. Um, but uh, um, one of the things she has down there is this old family sewing machine that's been passed down in the ages. Now, mind you, in my lifetime, I've not known my mom to sew, let alone use the sewing machine. But this is an old sewing machine. It's got like these solid iron base to it and this really big wooden solid wood frame to it. I mean, it's well over a hundred pounds. Um, so anytime I have to move this thing because I have to clean around it or what have you, it's a pain to me. So I, to me, this is a, a something that I view as something that really at most of the time causes me harm. Now, if someone comes along someday and says, hey, this is like a really like an antique sewing machine that's made out of this precious metal and it's really unique and it's worth a lot of money. All of a sudden, it's not going to become something that I shove in the corner of my mom's basement and I pile stuff on that I don't want to have to ever move. And I just want to get out of the way so I can clean around it and what have you. I'm going to consider it very different. Uh, my inner feelings about it are going to change drastically. Um, in a sense, uh, my fear of it currently, which is it's going to cause me pain, is going to change to a fear of my care for it. Um, I would be, you know, I was once filled with dread, great dread, because of it. Um, but it's going to become a joyful dread, uh, a dread that uh, at misusing it, I'm going to harm it. Uh, I would suddenly be desperately afraid of breaking it or chipping it or scratching it or hurting it in any way. I would give it probably I would move it out of the basement up to somewhere upstairs where it's less likely to be damaged by the elements, by the water, uh, by the things around it. Um, my view of it has changed. My fear has been directed to a, in a new way. Um, there's still a, a fear, a concern having to do with it. But it's a different concern, a concern of hope, a joy connected to it. Um, those two famous parables that uh, Matthew records for us, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the, the great pearl and the parable of the hidden treasure. Uh, some guy is out in a field that's not his and he finds this great treasure in it. So he covers it up and he runs and he does, uh, he sells some stuff so he can buy the field. So that treasure that if within the field becomes his and the same, a, a peril, uh, uh, a man who is in the pearl business is, uh, going through pearls somewhere and he finds this one that's a vast value. And uh, so he goes and he sells all of his other pearls so that he can come and buy that one pearl of great value. And so too, uh, this fear, this appreciation, this reverence, this all of who God is reorients our hearts and our minds to a new treasure. Uh, from the treasures of this world that we once placed our hope into the treasures of God himself. Uh, Spurgeon uh, uh, tells this story uh, of uh, two ships, two captains who are at sea. 
and uh, he says, so there's two captains out there on two different ships, and they're needing to get to the same location. Um, and one captain says, I am going to uh, take this shortcut, this uh, shorter route uh, to this location. Uh, now, along this location, there are... Um, uh, ragged edges sticking out uh, from the cliffs on one side, and there are uh, rocks peeking out of the water, and some rocks just underneath the water on the other side. And the other uh, captain says he's just going to go the normal, longer route around to the same location. The, the first captain, he's probably fine, unless his circumstances change. That being, something deters his ability to see or to maneuver with his ship. Some storm comes along and, or some fog drops in and he can no longer see as well as he had counted on. Or the waters are, uh, are uh, so rough that even if he can see, he doesn't have the ability he needs to, to maneuver his ship around or away from the rocks and the ledges. That second captain could encounter the same exact storm but he has no fear of ledges or the rocks. So he has a peace that the first captain doesn't have. And so the reality is we're a young church for the most of us. For some of you, you might not be so young, but you might not have encountered the ledges and the rocks to this point in your life. The storms, I should say. But we're all going to go through life and we're all going to experience pain and we're all going to experience trials and we're all going to experience difficulties and it's really easy for us uh, in certain times of good in our life to think, I can make it through. I can captain my ship through the shortcut. I can get to my place of peace, my place of shalom, my place of, place of joy uh, through this means, and I don't need God. But when that storm hits, you're going to be like the captain who is unable to see the ledges and the rocks and who also might be unable to steer his boat. The promise with a, a fear of God is that storms will hit, but I have a God that can move the ledges and the rocks, or move me away from the ledges and the rocks. It's not a promise that there won't be storms, but there's a promise that the storms won't lead to destruction you will have a, a eternal life with God, in other words. Spurgeon uh, wraps up his story with this. He says, uh, we admire courage, but we, we do not admire full-heartedness. And the Christian man who seeks to steer clear of temptation, who endeavors to be precise and exact in his mode of living so as not to go near to sin, but to avoid it, and keep away from it must be judged to be in the best sense of the word a happier man the one who courts the temptation and heedlessly rushes into a position of peril so you see this this reverence this grabbing hold of this new treasure of the pearl of great value reorients our life away from how we used to live the shortcuts to happiness and joy and peace and it makes us uh, grab hold of the long way, if you will. And the reality is it's not a long way, and the other way is not a shortcut, because that shortcut will never get you to the end place. And the long way is long in the sense of 
you won't know it absolutely until you leave this world, but it is readily available to you now in this very moment. And in the very moment to which you come to Jesus as your Savior. And so we, we are reorienting our, reorienting our life away from the jagged edges and the um, rocks just below the surface and the ones peeking out above it. Um, we begin to fear temptations instead of fear God. In terror, because we have a reverent fear of God. We understand his goodness. We understand the place he's brought us into. And we understand what is his promise for us for eternity. And it's a place that brings us to a place of awe. Some questions for you. In the last few weeks, have you had moments of worry? Apart from certain medical uh, chemical issues in your brain, the reality is, is if you have spent time in fearing God, in reverent awe of his wisdom and the reality that he is your sustainer, there is nothing to worry. Have you felt self-pity? Have you allowed yourself to think, I can't believe I'm in this position. How could so-and-so do this to me? How could God let me be in this position? If you have a fear of God and his joy and his sovereignty, if you have a reverence for his joy and his sovereignty, you couldn't be in a place of self-pity. Have you felt guilty? Shame? Unworthy? If you understand his grace and his mercy, if your fear has led you to taste his imputed righteousness given to you from Christ through the cross and his resurrection, you know the freedom that is yours in your forgiveness and your worthlessness. If you spent time contemplating the reality that now the Holy Spirit is indwelled in your heart, bringing the gospel further into your heart and into your mind, enriching you and grabbing hold of you and more and more and pulling you into God's presence in greater force. And then using you to bring forth his gospel, to bring forth his value to this world. You should never feel worthless. Jonathan Edwards says, uh, the difference between knowing uh, uh, God and fearing God is the difference between knowing honey is sweet and, and tasting it. He says this, the true saint, true Christians have their minds in the first place inexpressibly pleased and delighted with the sweet ideas of the glorious an amiable nature of the things of God. This is the spring of all their delights, the cream of all their pleasures, the joy of their joy, this sweet and ravishing entertainment they have in the view of the beautiful and delightful nature of divine things is the foundation of joy. Let me read it again. I love it. True saints have their minds in the first place inexpressibly pleased and delighted with the sweet ideas of the glorious and amiable nature of the things of God. 
This is the spring of all their delights, the cream of their pleasures. It is the joy of their joy, the sweet and ravishing entertainment they have in the view of the beautiful and delightful nature of divine things is the foundation of the joy, their joy. Have you been ravished, wrecked by the beauty and glory of God? Have you experienced God in such a fearful way that it's become entertainment? It's become like honey, a taste that's grabbed you, drawn you in, changed you, ravished your hearts, completely changed what you view as valuable. That's what it means to fear God, to be moved and wrecked by his glory, by who he is. First John 5, 3 says, This is the love of God, that we not only have his commandments, but that his commandments are not grievous. That his commandments are not grievous. Keller says, We begin to long for God's truth and commandments more than the worldly things of our neighbors. Our envy diminishes and we will go away because our fear leads us to the new treasure, the great pearl. We, we come to the presence of God, his hugeness, his glory, his vastness, his beauty. And we, we one point trembled and terrored in front of it with no hope. But God in his glory, his grace, his mercy said, you're coming to me and realizing that your destruction is imminent. And I'm going to come after you and I'm going to put myself in that boat that I can see fully and I can maneuver it any way I want. But I'm, I'm steering it straight into the cliff. I'm going to be wrecked for you. Me, the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who allows you to continue sinning right now. I'm going to be in your place. Die on your cross that should have died on the cross that should have been yours. Take your sins on me in that death and rise so that you can have my place you can have my glory as your own. You can have my love. As we fear God, as we experience reverence before God, awe before God, as we taste the sweetness that is his beauty and understand his glory in ways that grab our hearts, we come out of our figurative shells. We're no longer consumed by fear. We're no longer thinking about how do I put myself in a position to get this and make sure I stay away from that. We begin to celebrate the idea of putting myself in a position where I can lose something for the sake of somebody else. I connect in relationships not to gain something out of it, but to give something in it. We embrace some of the non we embrace to a certain extent all of the non-relational pains of this world. 
as well. That doesn't mean they don't hurt. It doesn't mean there's not storms. It means in those storms, we know that God is at work. In me, and he's also saying to the world who has not feared God yet, there are those in this world like Job who fear God. And even if everything is removed, will be a testimony of that fear to you who need to see it, to see real love, to see real commitment between me and my people. And so we become a church um, that gets together and we say to each other, let's do life together in a way that allows us to be hurt by each other so that we can serve each other in the ways that we most need. We become a church so that the world around us can see these people live differently than us. They do relationships different than us. We become a church that celebrates his truth, his steadfastness that we can hold on to in those storms. We can know in the storms that there are no ledges and there are no rocks to which we can be destroyed by. And we become a church that builds that gospel into our hearts and our minds. And the Holy Spirit uses us to pour into each other's lives. We become uh, that church that uh, God uses in this world to bring forth his gospel uh, and his glory to a, a broken and needy world who has no idea what it really means to fear God, who has no idea what it means to understand God beyond an intellectual level, to have tasted it as Edwards talked about, to have experienced it. Uh, let's pray together. Father, we, um, as your church, we desperately need you. And we know it begins with you, and it begins uh, with a fear of you, uh, both in terror and in reverence, understanding uh, your glory your power uh, beyond ours, your riches beyond ours, that you used your power um, and destruction of yourself to bring us into because of your love and your grace and your mercy. Ravish us uh, in that fear, the terror, the trembling, the reverence, the awe. Do what you need to do in our hearts and our minds. Bring us the scriptures, bring us the words from each other, bring us the situations in life we need to know you in such a way that we truly fear you, we truly know you, we truly experience you. Bring us to joy, a joy that allows us to say, or to know that the things our neighbors are holding on to are not valuable, are not the real treasure in the field, are not the true pearl, so that we no longer envy their, their treasures. Help us, in, as we grasp you as our true treasure, to have empathy in their striving and their longing that's going to leave them empty. the anxiousness and the anxiety as they are that ship trying to maneuver 
through the deadly pass. Help us to see the storms when they arise, to comfort them, encourage them, to speak honestly about your holiness and your righteousness and your demands upon them, your justice, your grace, and your mercy, so that they can move out of the deadly pass into the open waters. They can know you and your peace and your joy. Help us to be a church that lives in such a way that people are drawn to you because our fear has softened our hearts to you, softened our hearts to each other, gave us a, a desire to be vulnerable, a celebration of that vulnerability because we can serve each other better as we're hurt by each other. We can know each other's weaknesses and help lead each other into greater fear of you and therefore greater joy in you. Lead us to obedience and love away from envy. In your name we pray. Amen.